0: If you feel stuck, in my way of thinking, you're always capable of making a tiny movement. Some, you know, this this concept of Kaizen, the, the small incremental changes that you do, and you commit yourself to the small, small, somewhat almost seemingly imperceptible change. When you do that, uh, you can make profound changes. You can have a whole new life.
1: Welcome to The Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. All right, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Ken Erickson. Ken has been in private practice as a chiropractor since 1997. Dr. Erickson also holds advanced degrees in clinical neurology and the fields of health psychology and health science. He has lectured internationally throughout the United States, the United Kingdom, and Canada. Before pursuing a career in the healing arts, Dr. Erickson was the youngest person to have achieved the status of master electrician and operated a company that handled all of the local hospital's electrical needs. Ken is also a powerlifting champion, and he has multiple black belts in the martial arts, which I'm sure we'll get into. Ken, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Drew. Thanks for having me.
1: It's great to be with you. You know, Ken and I always have really stimulating, fascinating conversations um, whenever we talk, so I'm sure this is going to take us in a lot of interesting directions. But, um, but Ken, you know, it's interesting because I think one of the reasons why we really clicked together, you, you and I is because originally the name of my show was going to be called living against the grain.
0: Mm. And,
1: and it's just a philosophy that I believe in with all my heart is, is just doing things against the grain, going in a different direction. And, and one of the things you said to me, you know, in one of our first conversations is just that you, you know, you sort of, don't follow the mainstream. And I'd love for you to talk about how that has played a role in your life, this this notion of not following the the mainstream, living against the grain, how that's played out in your life, and also your work as a healer with with your clients and patients.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, that's certainly been the case uh, with me. I'm not sure if it was a conscious decision or not. It just uh I think just the uh, the currents of my life took me in uh, avenues that were uh, that they certainly weren't the mainstream. you know, I was always the guy who was curious about what was down the alley, particularly if I wasn't supposed to go down the alley. <laughs> yep, you know that kind of a thing. and um I don't know why that is it's a it, you know I think it's kind of an interesting. Looking back on my life, it's kind of interesting that that turned out to be the case. But from my earliest memories, I was always attracted to the to kind of I don't want to say the strange and the weird and all of that. But in a way, I think I was um, once something became popular or was it was obvious to me that groupthink was it was at work. I was not interested in it too much. Um, I think I found the most interesting characters in uh, the little subcultures of of the world rather than the mainstream guys so it's always been that way but Mm -hmm. looking back i don't know that i thought i i I gave it much you know conscious thought right but that's certainly been the case yeah it certainly has been
1: absolutely and and i know you know from talking with you before ken um you we've also talked and, and you've told me you know how they you know really the physical, the surface level, you know, doesn't interest you as much as, as sort of delving deeper um, and under the surface. And, you know, and, I'm, and I was just wondering, Ken, I mean, when your work as a chiropractor or, or working, you know, in neurology, um, clinical neurology with, with a patient or a client, you know, is, is, would you say that that is essential for healing to delve but beneath the, the sort of the superficial surface level?
0: You know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation because I think that for me, it's certainly, it's certainly necessary. I don't, I try to meet people where they're at. I have folks who come in who, if we, if I was to try to take them deeper, you know, they may not at all respond positively to that. For them, it comes down to a simple matter of they have neck pain or back pain or whatever it may be. And that's as far as they care to go with it. So I'm fine with it. I'll meet them there. But I think for a lot of folks, what you're really looking at is um, is a deeper phenomenon. It's not the surface stuff, and I think it starts off that way. But then, if you you know, my doctor work that I did in England was really all about listening to people, and not just hearing, but really actively listening. And um, when you do that, you start to you start to find out that a lot of the things that we we think of as ill health. I think is really more of a manifestation of suffering on some level. And it, it can present in a lot of different ways, but even the idea that somebody will listen to you actively listen um, and not judge and try and feeling validated that goes a long ways to the healing. I I believe to the, in the healing process. Mm. So it's a, it's a complicated business, but I try to keep, my own agenda out of it. If I can, (laughs) you know, sometimes it's tempting to want to delve deep, deep, deep. I have a a friend of mine, a colleague of mine who he's tried to practice that way for a lot of years. And I think the danger in it is that you can overwhelm people Mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, it's, it's enough. If we can just help a little, if I can just help you a little bit, I don't have to fix your whole life. And, um, and I think that's a good place to start. So, uh, but for a lot of folks, yeah, I think that it's a much deeper thing going on. And I think that's, that's the whole challenge is to know when to go a little deeper and when not to. And, but for but you're right for me, I've always wondered what was beneath the surface of everything,
1: mm. no matter
0: what I was doing or what I was looking at.
1: Mm. That's, that's really great. And, um, you know, it just, it just struck me as this whole notion of just symptoms versus root cause Mm. and just a lot of people, it seems like, you know, this whole idea of honoring the symptoms, but you know, not, you know, it just seems like a lot of people in in the work that I do in functional medicine, um, Mm. a lot of people just want their symptoms to go away, but they don't, you know, they don't really want to dive into, you know, well, what's, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, is it just going to come back, you know, a month later if we don't get to the root cause, and uh, I don't know if that's something that you find in your work with uh, with people.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a common thing, I think. And what you in what you often hear is the idea that the, the typical allopathic model deals with symptoms, and the holistic guys and the functional healing guys and everything. We're all looking to try to get a little deeper to get to the cause of things and not simply the symptoms. But you know, to me, it, there's it's <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that can argue everything backwards and forwards and upside down. So. <laughs> Uh, I can make myself a little crazy doing that. And one of the ways I I think about it is if somebody, if what they're capable of dealing with is is just lessening their symptoms, for example, that's fine. That's that's a good place to start sometimes. Um, And I have to also respect the fact that they may not be able or willing to go deeper. It may be larger than they're even capable of handling. So I have to keep myself in check a little bit and tell myself it's it's they're not really my thing to fix you know it's not my job to cure all your ails and all your problems and fix your life for you i'm here to assist you in some manner and as long as what you re- require from me doesn't ask me to somehow you know violate my own code of ethics i think i'm fine so it's i've i changed that a lot as the years go by mm. at one time in my life i was very much in tune with the idea that i was going to get into a deeper fix the problem and fix the cause. And, and now I think I'm a lot, I'm a lot more tentative to, uh, to tell anybody what they need. Mm. So I, 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 try to find where they're at and I see if maybe we can find some common ground on it, if that makes any sense. But, uh, there's no question that we're, we're focused on symptoms. Mm. When I worked, I did my clinical training in St. Louis. Uh, this was a number of years ago. I worked at a, uh, an outreach clinic, a Harbor light clinic. It was a, it was a free clinic down in the city. And for most of these folks, we were the only doctors they had. And so we saw all types of stuff. And what was interesting to me about it, because you really, you really, you were in a very economically depressed area. It was basically the, the, the ghetto, you know, and the saying on the street was always, everything's everything. Everything's everything. Because what they would find is somebody would come in from, from an outside source, and they'd say, well, the problem is we just haven't put enough money into education, and if we do that, then everything from there will get better. Well, that's one part of it, but then you also have a cultural issue, and then you've also got crime, and then you've got, and so they, they these folks who lived that life every day had a knowing that everything was affected and was affecting everything else. I mean, everything was affected by and is affecting. so it was this incredible entangled web and i look at i look a lot of health i look at health that way sometimes it's this interconnected web where we don't want to go too far to be dismissive of somebody's symptoms particularly if they're in pain and suffering or if the symptoms going to kill them so but at the same time to be cognizant of the fact that there's always a deeper level and if we don't address it it's it's sure to come back it's sure to come back So I I look at all of this and and the problem with being a holistic systems type thinker is that it can be incredibly frustrating because it's hard to get to the root cause of anything. Everything is having an effect upon everything else. And so my attitude is as long as we can make a little bit of improvement and and we can do that a little bit each day or, you know, moment by moment, we're moving in the right direction. Mm. Even if I don't get the person to the root cause, or if I don't, you know solve the problem completely can we make it a little better can i alleviate the suffering a little bit and i think i'm a little more humble these days than i used to be i had a lot more, i had a lot more uh, answers you know 20 25 30 years ago
1: yeah well that's interesting Ken, i was going to ask you you know how your what's your evolution been like you know as as a healer as a human as a human being you know how have you changed over the years would you say
0: Hmm. I think it's, well, you know, that's another interesting question. I think as long as I can remember, conflict has been part of my life. From my earliest memories, there was always conflict surrounding me, whether it be in my family or where I grew up, where I went to school, internal to me. So a lot of my life early on, I think, was driven by conflict. And what that creates is a lot of fear. And fear doesn't feel good after a while and so that gave birth to anger and anger felt better than fear so anger drove me for a large portion of my early days but there's this concept of the wounded healer you know a lot of people go into the healing arts because they've been wounded and they're trying to if i can help you in some small way i get helped and i think that's been a common theme in my life so when you come from if you if you're coming from a background where you've been wounded um whether it be physically or emotionally or both there's a couple of ways it can go it can go in a very negative way it can go it, it can turn into very uh antisocial types of behaviors and um in my case i was drawn into helping people because that's how i always felt better was if i was able to help somebody I felt better myself, and so from I think in the. But you know, here's what's funny. I was not a very good student academically. I was bored with school. I didn't have to work very hard to do okay. I didn't care about doing well. Uh, I just wanted to get out, really. So I finished high school. I went to college. I did one semester of pre-med and I quit. I dropped out and I went into the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning trade. And I served half of an apprenticeship, so two years. I did. I did that mostly. Uh, sheet metal layout and installing uh, heating and ventilation systems. Absolutely hated it, uh, despised it. So then I, so then I decided to go. Um, I got into the electrical field, and I served my full apprenticeship. That was four more years of training, and then I got out and I wasn't happy working for anybody. So and there was really no work to be had at that time. The work was pretty well dried up. So I started my own company. And that's how I ended up, uh, I I was really a young guy. I got, now the funny thing was I passed the test that said I was a master electrician when I was like 25, but I was certainly not a master electrician. Um, I passed the test that said that, but I knew who the master electricians were. So I hired them and those are the guys that worked for me. And. And as you had mentioned, I did all of the local hospitals wiring for about three years. So I had a lot of exposure being in in a hospital and seeing how things operate. And it really turned me off tremendously. Uh, I didn't find that there was... I mean, I hate to say these things because if I say them without full context, people can get the wrong idea. Uh, It's not that I think medicine is an evil thing or a bad thing, but I found it to be a very... uh, it, It was not a a healing place they dealt mostly with illness and tragedies. And, and I think, you know, in terms of that, they do fine, but there was something certainly missing in it for me. And I, and I was really attracted to chiropractic work because I knew chiropractors and, and, uh, what I ended up doing was I cont- I was in the trades for about 10 years from the time I was 18 to about to the time I was 28. But my dream was really to go to chiropractic college, but I didn't like college. I didn't like school. And it seemed like a pipe dream rather than something I could actually achieve. But I continued to take night classes and I kept taking them and kept taking them. And I remember one time I was taking like an English class, I think, at night. And the teacher said he was saying that that poets and writers do real work and they 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 do all these things. It's real work. And I was just disgusted by that because I had just come off a construction site and I thought real work. Sitting around writing poetry is not real work. You need to come in the field with me and dig a ditch or, you know. So I went up to him at the end of it and I told him that. And he said, well, what kinds of things do you feel are real work? I said, well, if I didn't do what I did, you wouldn't even have a a building over your head. I mean, guys who build things and we're out and working in construction, that's real. Where he goes, well, do you feel wars and people in army and those types of things? I said, yo, those are absolutely real. He said, well, you know, what starts a lot of wars and revolutions and things is somebody with a pen. An idea triggers that. And he said, you know, you've gone through a lot of training. You're getting trained to be an electrician and all these things. But what I'm talking to you about is an education and how you think about things. And the guy really stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, wow, you know, so anyways, I I continued on. And then um, I finally got to the point where I just it was really stripping me of my soul. I just didn't feel the work was was satisfying. And even though I had a successful business and. But I decided one day suddenly to go to chiropractic college, and when I told them, they thought I was completely crazy, and and they thought, you know, are you kidding? In fact, they started a, a like a pool to bet how long it would be until I got thrown out. <laughs> and they were close. I almost got thrown out my very first class. I had to take physics. I had to have a year of in- inorganic chemistry, organic chemistry, and a year of physics to get into school, and they had an accelerated program in St. Louis at Merrimack College for that purpose. So. My very first chemistry class, I walked in, it was like 7.30 in the morning or something. And uh, the teacher came over and said, you know, there's no drinking in my class. I had a cup of coffee. And my attitude was, I said, just go teach your class. Don't worry about what I'm doing. And And he threatened to throw me out. He said, I'll throw you out of my class. So I had to get up and I had to go and put the coffee down. But to get it to go back to college after being in the trades for 10 years was really challenging for me. I had uh, I had to I had to really it was a soul searching kind of thing. And but long story short, um, I finally in that class, I'm telling you about the chemistry class, the, the teacher said, the professor said, You will not pass my class if you don't read the book six times. Well, I started and I tried and I was having trouble. So I thought I'll just go talk to the guy. He wouldn't even look up from his desk. He just asked me if I had read the book six times. And I said, Well, no, but if you could just take a little bit and you know, I'm an, I'm an adult student. I haven't been in school as a full-time student for a long time. He didn't care. He wouldn't even look. He just said, goodbye, go read the book. So I remember sitting there, and it was raining, and I was depressed, and, you know, I had sold my business. My dad had just died. I mean, I was, a re- I was all alone. I had no one in my life, and I sat down, and it was either quit and go back home with my tail between my legs or I started reading the book six times, so that's what I did, you know, paragraph one, you know, sentence one. <laughs> At the end of it, I ended up having an A in that guy's class, and there was only, like, four out of, like, 75 or 80 students. It was really a tough And then the second part of it, I ended up kind of lying to get into organic chemistry early I had said that I already passed the other two, and I was taking everything at once. I was taking the second part of inorganic, organic, and physics, and I got a B, which was good enough to get me into uh, school. And he called me in his office and wanted to know what happened, and I said, nothing. I. He goes, well, you should have had an A. And I said, well, and I told him the whole story, and he goes, look, you're going to Logan, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, what are you gonna tell your patient someday? You're having a B day? You can't, you're capable of a work and that's what you have to produce every day. You've got to give your best effort. This is not acceptable. And then he kicked me out of his office and that was the end of that. But it stayed with me. So I get into chiropractic college and uh, the first thing I hear about is uh, that chiropractic had actually got founded by a guy getting his hearing back. It had nothing to do with pain. And I so I immediately started to wonder about how did and the guy's name was Harvey Lillard. You know, I said, How did Harvey get his hearing back? Well, nobody kind of knew, and it wasn't, and they kind of came up with some ridiculous ideas. And long story short, I was studying anatomy one day by the pool, and a guy sitting next to me started to ask me questions. I wanted to know if I went to Washu Medical School. And I told him no, I was going over to Logan to be a chiropractor. And he said, Well, he didn't know anything about chiropractic. Well, let me fill you in, you know, after I'd been there for like, I don't know if I'd been there for even three months. It turned out that guy was a medical physician who also had a Ph.D. So when I started talking about Harvey getting his hearing back, he said, well, you know, the eighth cranial nerve never leaves the skull. So I don't see how you could have affected that with any type of manipulation. Well, I didn't have an answer for that. And very few other people did. Long story short, there was a program, uh, a postdoctoral program that was being taught that as a student, you could audit. So I started to take it. And B. B. Hagen, what was her name? I think it was B. Hagen. She wasn't. Um, she she was a retired uh, president of the college. She sat in the seminar with me, and she looked at me. This lady was probably about eighty at the time, and she said, "I don't care what anyone tells you. This is chiropractic. This is healing. You have to know this stuff." So I started taking neurology, and that's when everything changed for me. I got completely obsessed with it, you know, and I started just studying it incessantly and. So then I finished up, I passed my boards and I, and I uh, went to work for Logan and I rewrote the neurology program and I started teaching neurology. But then I had a couple other experiences where somebody said to me once, you know, <clears throat> you could know every neurological event in somebody's brain and not know a thought in their mind. So you're confusing the mind and the person for the brain. And and I, And I just kind of realized that we were, we were kind of treating people like pinball machines and that brought me to england and i applied to get into a phd program and uh, eventually i was accepted and then and i got my doctorate uh, over there but it's been a long long road that when i look back on it seems a little crazy to me because <laughs> i was i was a kid who didn't like school i didn't do necessarily very well in it but what i was what i was really not liking wasn't the learning part of it it was it didn't seem relevant to me mm. i couldn't find the relevance in what i was And once I, once the pieces came together, then I, then I excelled, I excelled. But that's kind of my, that's kind of in a nutshell. In addition to that, when I was in St. Louis, that was 1993 and the UFC had just started. And I was, uh, my roommate was a martial arts guy and he's, and he's telling me, and I had no respect for martial arts or karate guys. And I'd been in my share of physical encounters and Anyways, long story short, uh, when I first watched it, this little Brazilian guy was, like, getting on these guys and choking them out. And I thought it was all nonsense. I didn't even think it was a real thing. And and as luck would have it, there was a school in St. Louis that was teaching it. And uh, I, I ended up going down there. A guy brought me down there, and I met um, who's still my good friend today, Professor Yant, Stephen Yant. And he was more than happy to show me just how real it was. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was a, I was a powerlifter. You know, I was a really strong guy. And it just didn't matter.
1: You, you know, Ken, I wanted to ask you, because, um, you know, with your background in the martial arts and the different martial arts that you've done and, and still do, um, I, I'm curious about some of the lessons, the life lessons you've learned. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but one of one of my favorite books of all time, it, it's a book called Zen in the Martial Arts.
0: Yep. Yeah. I am familiar with
1: it. Okay. So, and it, and it goes into, you know, Bruce Lee and it just goes into some really cool life lessons. But, but I'm just curious about some of the lessons, some of the life lessons that you've learned from training in the martial arts, you know, for these well, many different years.
0: Well, that's a conversation we could have for hours and hours. There's so much. I
1: know. <laughs> what I've about it. I'll,
0: I'll start off with, uh, when you start training, now I was doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at the time and I, but the guys that I trained with, they were also kali guys, and um, and they and they trained in Jeet Kune Kundo, which is Bruce Lee's, you know, uh, system. And so I was fortunate that they really encouraged me to look at all types of different fighting styles and different things. But what was one of the first things that I learned was this idea that. Um, it's, it's the idea of letting go. And when you start to grapple, when you first start to get involved in that stuff and you get a lot of times you'll, you'll, you you think you kind of have to know a move or something. And once you get hold of it, you're not willing to let it go. And you're not willing to let it go because you're afraid you're never going to get another opportunity. Well, if you think about it metaphorically for life, you know, when we're born as babies, we have a grasper reflex. If you take a baby and you stroke his palm or her palm, you know, that kid will latch right onto you. And, uh, We know a lot about the brain pathways that cause that. But we were born knowing how to grasp. We were born intrinsically knowing how to hold on to something. Learning how to let go is a a lifelong journey. And that's something you learn early on in the mat in martial arts is when when the guy grabs you, I was always told, don't worry about the arm that grabs you. Don't worry about that. That's not the problem. And the guys who were advanced never worried about the fact that I grabbed hold of them. They, they knew right where I was, and I was doing the work for them because I would not let go. You know, there's a story that they hunt monkeys. They can catch them by putting a jar and fasten it and then, like, putting a banana or something they want in it. And once the monkey puts his hand in there and makes a fist around it, the monkey won't let go and literally can go over and pick him up If he because he can't get his fist out. He's stuck. So that's one of the life lessons that I learned was the things that we hold on to. We probably do out of a fear, of, out of poverty consciousness, There's that there's not enough. And I can't, I don't dare let go. Whether it be a relationship, a job, my belief in something, you know, we hold so tightly onto it. And the cool thing about getting involved with jujitsu was the fact that you had a physical example in front of you at how dangerous that can be. And uh, that was one of the first lessons that really struck home with me. And I I knew very early on that there was more to it than what was happening on the map. I knew that these things, you could learn these principles. And whether or not you ever become a great, you know, a world champion, or whether you even compete or you don't or whatever, really is not important. If you can take those lessons into your life, that's profound. That's a profound thing. Mm. So letting go, understanding the profoundness of letting go. There's always another opportunity. Something else is going to come up for you. It's no problem, but that's one of them. I would say. Um, yeah. I mean, boy, we could talk about a lot of these things. You know, <laughs> I probably I know. have over a hundred of them that I wrote down on a board when I was still had my schools.
1: Well, yeah, we may have to. We may have to do another conversation then again. This is some lot more of, of these. There's
0: a lot of them. Yeah.
1: There's, but but that that is such a that is such a profound lesson of letting go and how we yeah we we hold on to things but just learning to let go. I mean wow, what a what a profound lesson that is.
0: Yeah, you'd think it'd be easy, but it's profoundly difficult.
1: Absolutely. You know,
0: even even getting your arm broken, you would think the guy would let go.
1: Yeah.
0: Now that goes on, the last five years or so, five or six years, I've been training a different art, Kali, and so I've been training with these guys, and that's all, that's a purely offensive art, that's a, that's with impact weapons and swords and those types of things, and during the one class, the guy was showing me a thing where it was like a, he kind of locked me up, he, I had hold of my stick and he locked me up. Well, what I should have done is I should have just let go, <laughs> but instead... I got kind of angry and I, and the guy's not a very big guy. I mean, I've had to learn this lesson many, many times. And I jerked, I just used strength and I, and when I did, he just let go himself and the stick came and hit me in the head and just whap. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh man, my head. And the other instructor was looking at me and he says, yeah, you got to let go, man. <laughs> now even after having all this training years on the ground the mat, When I was when I found myself in a new, you know, kind of a a little bit of a foreign context, that lesson got repeated. Hmm. So it is I don't believe you learn a lesson and you've got it and then your life is smooth. It's something you learn and then you relearn and you relearn. You know, it's something you'll revisit. And about the time your ego gets big enough that you think you've got it, it seems like the universe will find a way to teach it to you again. Absolutely. So I walked around with a bump on my head for about a week and people, was, you know, what, what happened to you? Uh, nothing. You know, I didn't want to say, I don't, say. I'm supposed to let go, but didn't. And I wonder That's how many great. of us are walking around with wounds, you know, if, if not physical wounds, uh, emotional wounds because of our inability or unwillingness to let go of something.
1: Well, you know, that, that is, that is amazing what you just said. And, and Ken, um, Maybe we can, ta- we, we can take it into this and, and you could use either a lesson from martial arts or from your life or anywhere. But if somebody is listening right now who's feeling a little, maybe a little stuck, a little yeah. hopeless, a little stuck, um, what might be something they could do to today to begin to take their life in a new direction?
0: Yeah, so this is a good question. In, in uh, grappling, this is something that happens to you all the time. You feel stuck. And what you learn is... Even being still is still moving. You're really never stuck. It's not the nature of of reality, the nature of the universe. Everything is moving and is changing. And even something you think is completely stable, you know, a a chunk of metal sitting there, given enough time, that metal will erode and dissolve and disappear because it is changing, even though the the change is not perceptible to you. And what you find out with really high-level grapplers is they're very good at making micro movements, tiny little movements. You know, we used to have a thing called the stone cutter principle, and you watch the guy hit the stone, and it and it breaks in half. This massive, uh, you know, stone, and that the the last strike wasn't what did it. It was the ten thousand other smaller ones that he had done. So, if you feel stuck, in my way of thinking, you're always capable of making a tiny movement. Some, you know, this, this concept of Kaizen, the, the small incremental changes that you do, and you commit yourself to the small, small, somewhat almost seemingly imperceptible change. When you do that, uh, you can make profound changes. You can have a whole new life. And I think the problem that people end up in is they think if they can't, they can't create a massive change or they can't come up with the, the you know, the solution Instantly that there is no solution that they're truly stuck and then they give they give into uh despair And despair is a very bad thing because that's when your hope is gone. Your drive is gone uh, But none of that is ever true. I think there's always a new a new awakening and Every day you can start it over. So if you if it, it and that's the other thing is I think if you're trying to make changes Say you fail at it say so what forgive yourself and move on I think the guilt and all of that 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 we carry in our society because we haven't lived up to somebody's expectations or we haven't lived up to our own can stifle the the progress you could otherwise make. So small incremental changes lead to big changes. It's a principle I really believe in, and I think if more people could practice that for one, for one thing, the stress and all, every other pressure of having to do amazing, great thing. You know, we have a tendency to want to interview people and talk to people and listen to people that are, have been the best in the world at this and the greatest. At, often I'm interested in just the guy sitting down that back alley, just sitting down there playing dominoes, you know, or whatever he's doing or whatever she's doing, this simple person. You can, You, it's amazing how profound some of that can be.
1: Mm
0: not that they've you know re- they didn't win a nobel prize or they weren't the greatest runner or you don't need to have any of that stuff i think just sm- when i'm when i'm on the mat grappling and i'm somebody's got me stuck you know often i'll wait for you to move and your movement provides me with an opportunity and if i'm conscious of it i can fill it mm. it's a potential to move forward and i don't have to you know Knock it out, and maybe I can't move my upper body. Maybe you've got me so pinned, but I can still move my hips a little bit. Hmm. And that's all I need, just a tiny little wedge, gain a little bit of leverage. So I would say, you know, look at your life and find out, well, what can I do? You know, there's 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 a big question about whether the problem in life is lack of resources, or as Tony Robbins once said, it's the lack of resourcefulness. You know, you take somebody who's motivated enough and they and resourceful enough, it's amazing what they can get done. So I look at that, I look, I think that's an answer to your question is if you feel stuck, get resourceful and realize just the tiniest change is all you need and reward yourself, celebrate it a little bit. Hmm. Don't always, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a person in my mind is. You know, okay, I want to lose weight. I want to lose 20 pounds, and so they get on the scale every day and they get pissed off because they didn't lose. That's a killer of the fact that you, the fact that you even got up and let's say that you you had a good breakfast or a good lunch or whatever, and then you and then you kind of fell off the wagon. Well, look, at least you're trying. You did you did better than if you didn't try at all. So throw put the scale away and reward yourself for the fact you showed up. I feel that way about working out. The worst workout you've ever had in your life was fantastic. And I know that because I know what it's like to be in an ICU unit. I know what it's like not to be able to stand up. So the worst thing you've ever done is still fantastic. Mm. And if you, if you can learn that lesson, life itself is a renewing thing. Every day, the smallest little tiny thing that you were able to achieve, you can celebrate it, give yourself some credit. Who cares if you didn't, you know, who cares if most of the t- time the people that are the most amazing, a lot of that was a God-given ability too, along with their effort and everything. But it to me, I'm so far beyond caring about that. It's not something I, I'm, I'm just as likely to want to go talk to somebody who is just, you know, the average guy who's never, a, the world doesn't recognize that person ha- as having, but I'm like, well, you did something pretty amazing. You were a mother you raised your kids or you're, you know, you're a dad who worked two jobs or whatever you're doing. I mean, so Absolutely. I that's my, that's my take on it really. That's,
1: that's great. That's great. And actually this, this completely leads into the, the last question and I think you might've just answered it, Ken, but um, I ask everyone this, this final question, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 40 years or so, what words of wisdom, and maybe you just said it in that last answer, but what what words of wisdom would your current self share with the with your younger self?
0: Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> now that answer will come to me when we when we're done talking today. It usually in,
1: does. I'll, That's right. I'll
0: get this profound insight. You know, and I'm like, I'll call you and say, Hey Drew, I got the answer. <laughs> I think it would be to be kinder to myself. Mm. I think it would be let be less judgmental to on yourself and everyone else
1: Mm.
0: because conflict as I said earlier has followed me most of my life and a lot of that is the the feeling that you haven't lived up to something or haven't you haven't achieved enough or whatever it is and what happened to me was I kept having to achieve something else I kept having to set a new goal you know because I thought that's what would finally bring me my my sense of Well being, my sense of accomplishment. And I got, it's finally got to the point where I realized all I'm doing is looking for somebody else's approval. And until I can know myself, I'll never, I'm never going to achieve it. It'll always be a a, a hill too far. It's always going to be just out of my grasp, you know. And I think my advice to my younger self would be just relax and enjoy, Uh, enjoy the ride a little bit. Don't be so hard on yourself. Forgive people. You know, because what they're doing is probably a reaction to a wound. I found that most people who are not very nice or they live in conflict or they're constantly attacking other people, that's a reaction to a wound. Hmm. They're wounded, they're hurting. When I I find that when people feel secure and they feel loved and they feel uh, wanted and deserving, just life gets a lot better. And you don't have all that conflict and you don't have. So that would be my advice to my younger self. Now, I'm sure I wouldn't have taken it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm sure I would have just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And went about my way. So I think the universe needed those 40 years. Right. <laughs> you know, to to, uh, to help me. But really, that that would be it, Drew. I think that's that would be
1: great. Ken, yeah. that's awesome. Um, so, Ken, if, if some of the listeners, if people listening want to connect with you or learn more about you where should they go to find out more about you and your work
0: oh that's a good question well we're starting we're getting a website just up and running um i think it's the harbor light wellness uh is it harbor white wellness center oh yes harbor white harbor light wellness of wny that's western new york and so that's it's in its infancy right now but eventually very shortly we're going to start uh hopefully doing some online talks and different things and um and i'll have you on mine so that'll okay. be good but oh, well. yeah that's the place they can go but eventually that'll be out there for me yeah.
1: okay okay by the time we put this out there i'm sure we'll be able to link it up in the show notes so people can check it out and uh that'd be great ken thank you so much my friend
0: all right sir i really appreciate it, it was an honor
1: Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.